0: This podcast is brought to you by Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Kangaroo Fern is Australia's independent video and podcast management agency with the mission to help individuals and entrepreneurs to start their own podcasts and harness the power of podcasting. Book now via www.kangaroofern.com. A Kangaroo Fern Production podcast syndicate. The we can do is just get stopped and run. stop and run, guys.
1: Push, push, push every time.
0: Extra, extra, extra session with Kiko Malikdem. Tackles everything about the world of sports, especially the one close to the host heart. Basketball. Updates, discussion, clarification, name it. Extra session has it. Extra, extra, extra session with Kiko Malikdem. Okay, guys, ladies, and gentlemen, basketball fans, welcome again to your favorite extra session with Kiko Malikdem. Today we'll be having uh, a special guest. You know we are excited to hear from him about his stories, about his uh, playing career. He's known as one, the one who broke David Robinson's nine-year single record in NCAA, NCAA Division One for blocks per game, after registering an amazing average of 6.36 blocks per game. He also played for the Los Angeles Clippers in the NBA. Without further ado, welcome, standing at seven foot three inches, playing center, Keith Klaus. <laughs> Okay, Keith, good day. Uh, how are you right now? Especially, you know, the world changed after this pandemic.
2: Oh man, the pandemic has really brought on a lot of uncomfortable changes and challenges for the whole world. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just, it's been a challenge to adjust and adapt to the way some things are. But all we can do is make the best of things where we can.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, so I'm not going to uh, go around the bushes, but, you know, we're going to focus on your career. You know, a lot of people, you know, wondered, how did you start playing basketball? How did playing basketball began or began for you?
2: My father played high school basketball. Oh. He played a lot of playground basketball. He he was six seven, and uh, oh. you know, I was born in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So, and in the projects where I'm from, where my family is from, you know we had a lot of basketball players come out of there, and out of that city, Hartford, Connecticut, in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as a I, as a toddler, I had a, a basketball hoop that was hung over my door frame. Mm-hmm. you know and i remember i remember shooting at that um mm-hmm. when the big kids and the grown-ups were using the main basketball courts over at the projects myself my playmates we played crate bowl you know we tied up a crate to the laundry lines <laughs> or to the trees and we 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 played crate bowl so mm-hmm. you know marcus canby lived downstairs from me oh, you know he oh, played, yeah he, so he was one of my playground mates, you know, playing playing play uh great ball. And that's what we did. Yeah, I see.
0: Now, uh, were you tall, you know, when we when you were still young? I mean, were you you that tall among your batch members,
2: batch mates? Yes, yes. I was always uh, one of the tallest out of all my, you know, all my friends, my playmates, classmates. Yeah. Marcus, <laughs> he was taller than me until about uh 10th grade ah, then we gosh. then we caught up in height I you know I was a freshman at 6'4 he was a sophomore at 6'8 oh.
1: and
2: then I started and then I started my my sophomore year at 6'8 mm-hmm. so over the summer from freshman to sophomore year I grew four inches you know and uh, <laughs> I eventually passed him up you know a couple of years yeah. later <laughs> yeah yeah he
0: stopped you know growing out 6'10 or 6'11 something like that yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, uh, who are your basketball idols growing up, you know, with regards to basketball, who are your, I mean, who are your influences or basketball
2: idols? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was my all-time favorite NBA player. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know I'd grow to be an inch taller than him, but, (laughs) you know, growing up in Los Angeles, it was a Laker town Mm -hmm. and, you know, I fell in love with the Lakers immediately. Um, I got a chance to meet Kareem several times, you know, Magic, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, Bob McAdoo, Jamal Wilkes, James Worthy, you know, the list goes on and on of the guys I was able to meet as a kid, as a fan, you know, a youngster going to the games. Uh, When I was in high school um, and the recruiting process started heavy around my junior year, Mm -hmm. there was a guy by the name of uh, Ronnie Wimbush. Okay. He was he, he was a six eight guard, a point guard, you know, he was the first point forward that I saw, well, other than Scottie Pippen, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Scottie Pippen, George Gervin, those guys, you know, tall, lengthy, running a point, you know, making great passes. He could shoot. Um, the mid-range game was there. So I started, you know, incorporating bits and pieces of his game into mine as well. Because as a youngster, you know, when I would play pickup at the parks, of course, now I'm playing with adults, and I'm not always the tallest one. So from a young age, I developed my ball handling skills and my shooting ability, and I was just able to maintain it as I grew. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the NBA, and Ronnie Winbush from Azusa Pacific University, you know.
0: And you you said earlier that... um... You were you were recruited heavily uh, back then in high school. Uh, yes. How did you choose to play for Central Connecticut Blue Devils?
2: I had to go back a little bit. My junior year, what happened was my junior year, the coach didn't allow me to try out for the varsity team. Mm-hmm. He turned me and another friend away at the door. I'm 6'11". Oh, man. I was a kid in the oh. district, in the you know division. He turned me away. Mm-hmm. He said that, He had enough talent on his team. So Mm -hmm. I basically said, screw schoolwork. I'll Mm -hmm. do my tests, but I'm not going to really participate in the class assignments. Mm -hmm. And I barely skated, you know, I barely passed to my senior year because of my test scores. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I had to go back my senior year and make up credits for my junior years to become college eligible. Mm -hmm. Central Connecticut State. They stayed consistent with me through the process, just very supportive. You know, Coach Mark Adams, Ted Woodward, Coach Mark Borgeson, those guys, they they showed faith and consistency, you know, and just encouragement. Keith, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge, but we believe you can do it if you set your mind to it. If you want to play Division I basketball, you have the opportunity to. So The other schools started to fall away because they didn't think I was going to be eligible. They didn't think I was going to be able to graduate from high school. Not the case with Central Connecticut. They stayed true, you know. And before I even graduated, when I went on my recruiting trip that April, I signed my national letter of intent to play for them because of the commitment that they had shown me, Mm -hmm. you know. And it, it, what I learned is that they cared more about me as a person than as a player. Yeah, it was important that I graduate and become eligible to represent the university. But it was more important that, you know, I accomplished that goal. You know what I mean? And and give myself a real chance.
0: I see. Now, um, uh, of course, nowadays, the situation is that if you're still in high school, you can opt not to go to college. And uh, you have the NBA G League. If ever the situation was the same before, would you have jumped with the NBA G League or would you have uh, stayed with playing college ball?
2: Um, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how I would have decided on that. That would have been a tough call. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I graduated from high school, I was, a, I was a 7'2", 175 pounds, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. that it was just not really, you know, I, I don't know what I would have done.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, because I, I never I never shied down, backed away from competition, but basketball was something that was very important for me and for a lot of my generation. So who who knows what decision I would have made though. hmm I see.
0: Now uh after two years, you you actually jump. You uh you jump, you place your name on the NBA draft, am I right? Now, yeah. Did you ever regret going to NBA early? Did you wish no. that you have stayed?
2: No, In a situation at the university where our coach Mark Adams was unfairly like you know, he was in the middle of building something special. Um,
1: you
2: know, and did was an assistant at UConn at the time, who also happened to be an alumni of Central Connecticut State University. So it was an opportunity for him.
1: OK, uh,
0: I think you're having a problem with the signal,
1: with the audio.
2: I uh, called me. I don't know why it still came through. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, that's it. That's okay. much
2: clearer. OK, somebody was calling. I put my phone on, do not disturb. I don't know why it came through.
1: <laughs> I see.
2: But uh, So like I said, I didn't like the situation, the way it happened. My family that let me know that I couldn't trust them. Mm -hmm. And I had planned on actually transferring to the University of Utah so I could team up with my AAU point guard, Andre Miller. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the coach, the incoming coach, changed up my transcripts Mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't be eligible to play. Yes. So I had no choice but to. Declare, you know, and I didn't declare right away because that was a summer of 96. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just, I just got and when that summer as a free agent, a rookie free agent, you know, playing on a free agent team. Um, that was nerve wracking, you know, because I'm out there. That was,
1: uh, And
2: uh, so I I didn't do too well that year, you know, that summer. Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity at the ABA back in Connecticut for the Norwich Neptunes. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the club in the NBA draft for the 97-98 season. I don't don't regret it at all. Mm -hmm. You know, the one bit. It was a situation I was pretty much, I took advantage of it.
0: I see. Now, did did you expect that you
1: would go undrafted?
2: Uh, I think uh, you're, uh, you your 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 screen your screen froze up. Yeah. Can you yeah. hear me?
0: Yeah, I could hear you right now. Uh, I think your screen okay. froze up also. But then, you know, I could hear okay. your audio right
1: now.
2: <laughs> okay. So, um. I did expect to be drafted
1: mm-hmm.
2: Philadelphia and oh. Seattle. Mm-hmm. They were calling my agent mm-hmm. saying that they're going to draft. Mm-hmm. It's just being drafted. Um, and it was quite a disappointment when that didn't happen. I see. Now so I had a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. You know, I said, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to make it. I know I'm going to make it. I don't know. how." Uh, I know I'm going to make it and I want to make those, I'm going to make all of those teams.
0: (laughs) I see. Now, I mean, that's good to know because sometimes, you know, there are players who go, who go undrafted suddenly lose their passion or motivation, but in your part, you were there. I mean, you, you, you like what you said, you had a chip on your shoulders and it motivates you to do go further with your career.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I had something to prove. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, before before playing in the NBA, which team do you wish that you had played for?
2: Well, I grew up a Lakers fan, Mm -hmm. so that was always my dream to play for the Lakers. You know, and I played with them in the summer pro league. You know, after going undrafted, Mm -hmm. and uh, so I had a chance to team up with Kobe, Derek Fisher. You know, and quite a few other very talented guys. Jimmy King, who played for Michigan in the Fat Five. James mm-hmm. Forrest out of Wake Forest. Shea right. Seals out of mm-hmm. Uh My goodness, I've got Alvin Sims from Louisville. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. another strong, strong guard. Mm-hmm. Ace Custis from Virginia Tech. C.J. Bruton, who went on to represent Australia and had a good playing career in Australia. He's now starting his professional coaching career in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I thought that I had a chance to sign with them, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that their roster was already full. So <laughs> I would have just gotten an invite to camp just to be an extra body, if nothing else.
0: I see. Now, uh, if, if there's a, a thing that you would like to recall and change, you know, in the past, what would it be?
2: Oh, sometimes I say my alcoholism problems that I had mm-hmm. when I was younger, mm-hmm. you know, because that really played a major role in why I lasted in the NBA, mm-hmm. my behavior under the influence of alcohol. Um, but then, you know, maybe my life wouldn't be what it is today. You know, I'm 14 years sober as of September 17th. Wow. Um, and my life is about giving guidance, you know, mm-hmm. to younger, not just players, but to everyone that I encounter. Just, you know, trying to be a maximum service whoever I'm needed, wherever God places me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those, those mistakes, those trials and tribulations that I had, it was worth it at the end of the day because of who I was able to become the man I'm able to become today. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, I was about to ask you, I mean, uh, just to confirm it, because uh, I was checking the stats, your stats in the NBA, and I think that that was a pretty good stats already, stats line for a young guy, especially if coming from the bench uh, and more focus on defense. Uh, Your NBA career ended uh, abruptly around three to four years. uh, Because you know, there are some some rumors of because of the drinking habit or attitude of fighting with the coaches. How about the fighting of the coaches? How true was it?
2: It was very true. Um, I had an ego problem, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I think all professional athletes do, uh, mm-hmm. all people who excel at their craft have some bit of an ego. Mm-hmm. And you have to remember, at the time when I was playing, that was the era of the dominant big man. I was able to do this stuff in college. I was able to do this stuff in the NBA. It's just that I wasn't allowed to I had to play my role and I had a very difficult time adjusting to my role. you know, had I adjusted to my role better than you know and had just accepted it, I would have had a longer career. Nice. but it was just the ego and you know becoming fr- also being frustrated with playing for a losing organization and the players we cared about winning you know we wanted to win we did our best out there to win but -hmm. sometimes the the cars were were stacked against us because the organization the top of the organization starting from donald sterling to upper management they didn't really care about a winning culture you Mm -hmm. know they were filtering players in and out in and out in and out you know, people would start to build up, and then they get rid of them and bring in someone else, and they start to build up and then get rid of them, bring in someone else. And also, veteran leadership on teams is so important to have for young players. My veterans are 25 and 26 years old. One, you know, going on 22, and we're all. Everyone's just basically set up with the situation, so nobody's really given any kind of Guidance on how to get through things. But when I went to my veterans, was well, I don't know what to tell you. You're gonna have to figure it out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that, so I grew up in a fight or flight era, and I don't run, so I fought back, you know, instead, which was, which wasn't the right thing to do, but it was the only thing that i knew to do
1: nice.
2: you know so that's why i take a stance today and and i have for many years now of you know giving guidance to younger players when whether they ask for whether they ask for it or not you know if i recognize something you know i pull them to the side and we address it we talk about it and i give them suggestions on how to better handle themselves you know the next time they find themselves in that kind of situation Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I use myself as an example of what will happen if you don't. I see. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, you believe that if if ever you were you were playing for another team, it would have been better for your career.
2: Well, a team with solid veteran leadership,
1: mm-hmm.
2: absolutely, absolutely. You know, that's so imperative. Um, it it means the world to the younger guys and helping them adjust mm-hmm. to everything because now it's a, it's a whole different ball game and you learn that it's more business than it is pleasure. Yeah. We're getting paid millions of dollars, but at the end of the day, it's a business, Yes, you know, and I found that out the hard way.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I read some work, somewhere that you divulged in a, well, actually in a podcast, that you had a feud with some of your Clippers teammates, you know, namely Lamar Autumn, Michael Oluwakandi, M- Maurice Taylor. What was the beef all about, you know? <laughs> uh,
2: youngsters with egos, you know, just mm-hmm. young guys with egos, and we, mm-hmm. we're all part of the same environment, you know, with a losing tradition, and we're fed up with it, and you know, we we just clashed like 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 teammates and like brothers are gonna do. Yeah. You know. I um I appreciate my time with those guys though. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back and there weren't there weren't many clashes, you know. Mm-hmm. It was just a few that stood out more than others. And uh for the most part we we just wanted to we just wanted to play ball and win. Yeah. You know more than anything we wanted to win because nobody likes losing there's Mm -hmm. no fun in losing you know and uh, it kind of sucked the the losing kind of sucked the fun out of it Mm -hmm. you know but we we did the best that we could with it nice
0: now you, you you earlier like what you said you played in an era where i mean there was michael jordan uh, Coach yeah. Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Carl Malone, Team Duncan, something like that. How was it like playing with these big names? Were you in awe when you faced them, or were you, you you were motivated to show them that you can play?
2: Both. Mm-hmm. It started off as awe, mm-hmm. but then it turned into, wait a minute, this is what I do. You know, they haven't seen anyone like me yet, yeah. so I'm going to get out there and, and showing what I have as well. Mm-hmm. You know, not only do I have to guard them, they got to guard me. Mm-hmm. And did isn't always fair in my favor because I was on the bench a lot, mm-hmm. you know. But I took advantage of the few opportunities that I had, the, the few small windows that I had. Mm-hmm. You know, I take advantage. Um, one particular game against Cleveland. So
0: you want to start a podcast or perhaps you've already started one. But you're still unclear on how you can actually make this podcasting work. No worries. That's why we're here for you. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Join our network. Contact us at info at Because we're stronger together.
2: I, uh, the coach, Bill Fitch, calls me over. And he says, all right all I want you to do is play defense, rebound. That's mm-hmm. it. I don't want you to do anything else. <laughs> so I looked at my teammates as I'm walking past the bench to the score's table. They give me this nod and I, I take the nod as, "Oh yeah, go do your thing." Yeah. And I nod back. And I, <laughs> I get out there. I go 6 for 6, you wow. know, and I I'm, I'm just really I really show everything that I have from the ball mm-hmm. handling to the shooting to the – I just gave everything right then and there, six for six. The next dead ball, Coach Fish is at half court, and he's cussing me out all the way to the end of the bench. That's not what the F I told you to do. What, are, what, is, what is wrong with you? You're going to sit here and you're going to think about it for a couple of games. I got benched for like the next 10 or 15 games. Uh, you know. Unfair. And yeah, yeah. So, it, it it was rough, man. It was, it was really rough, and it's like, how do you see? I was the first undrafted rookie free agent to sign a big contract—five mm-hmm. years, eight point four million. Yeah, nobody else had done that until I did. So, I wasn't comfortable with sitting on a bench and collecting a check mm-hmm. like many other players were. Yes. I wanted to get out there and show you and prove to you why I was getting paid that kind of money. And so it was unacceptable for me to sit there on the bench, mm-hmm. especially when I knew that I could help my team better by being out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it showed because when I went in the game, the whole tempo changed because now I'm if I'm not blocking the shot, I'm changing the shot, you yes. know? And mm-hmm. I'm getting other opportunities, setting good screens for my teammates and, you know, trying to make the best play possible for us. And it didn't it didn't even have to do with getting a shot for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, they give me the ball and I take advantage when I could. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't force anything. I just let it flow naturally. But then two, three minutes and back to the bench I go. And then I don't play for five games and then I play 10 minutes and then I play one minute and then I play three minutes. Then I don't play for 10 games. Ah. Then I play 20 minutes and then I don't play for two games. So it was very, very inconsistent and hard to do anything. You know, that was just frustrating.
0: I see. Now, uh, you were also known for your, you know, uh, afro hair. Which at that time was, yeah. was you know was kind of unique for NBA. Yeah. As well, uh, seldom we see an Afro play, uh, player wearing that hairdo. Was that a plan of yours so that you? It's more of marketing yourself. Uh, since be- no,
1: not
2: becoming, at all. You know, that was just that was just me. You know, when I didn't have my hair braided, I just wear it out in the Afro. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, and. My cousin, my older cousin is Allen Iverson. Oh. He and I were the first ones. He and I were the ones that introduced cornrows and, and the design braids to the NBA, <laughs> you know, and you see everybody who started doing it after that, you mm. know, and then I wore my hair and, you know, I just took my braids out and blew it out into my afro. And then you see players start doing that, you know, have the afro with the headband on it. Players start doing that, you know, one day. I had my hair braided on the side mm-hmm. and wore it in a, in a mohawk. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was during a lockout year, 98, mm-hmm. 99. And Chris Ford was a coach. And it was the last game of the season. We were playing the Seattle Supersonics, I believe. Yeah, the Seattle Supersonics.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So we were taking our team picture. And he said to me, who do you think you are, Dennis Rodman? take your hair down or braid it up and finish braiding it or you're not going to be in a team photo. (laughs) Now, what he didn't know is that I have Native American heritage. Mm -hmm. So I was just representing a part of my heritage with the Mohawk, Mm -hmm. you know, and they complete that went completely over their heads. They didn't. And when I told them, they said, yeah, right, whatever. Take it out now or you're not going to be in the picture. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into Uh, you're not going to play in the game tonight. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So, you know, hey, some some might say they're picking on me. At times, I did feel like it over the years and talking to my teammates, they definitely agree that, you know, the coaches are sometimes picking at me. And again, that fight or flight mentality would kick in and I just fight back because that's what I knew to do. You know, I'm going to get you off of me. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's unfair, you know. But I had to take accountability as well for mm-hmm. my actions, the drinking. Yes. You know. So.
0: Now, of course, that like like what I said, the Afro hair, you know, it. Yeah. During the time when I played NBA Live, <laughs> the game console, you know. Yeah. You you were one of the players I picked from the fantasy draft there uh as the seventh <laughs> or eighth man because you know hey this is kind of unique <laughs>
2: have, uh-huh. you, have you played your seventh or eighth man yeah oh, wow. <laughs> <The>
0: seventh <laughs> because you know i i need a, a a center back then and i was hey I, I like this i mean this class thing this class man man it, it seems he has a good blocking or defense uh stats oh. <laughs> so that's I,
2: I, all they gave me credit for. I I feel gypped. I I feel gypped by the video games because they never gave me credit for what I could do. But that's not their fault. They weren't able to see it.
0: I see. But have you tried to play yourself in those video games?
2: Yes. And I used to get so frustrated because I would try to play my character the way I play in real life. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know... It, was just, it just wasn't happening because they didn't give me those attributes. Yeah. So, because I didn't have those attributes, it was, it was just frustrating for me. And then my friends, they would use me. They would pick me, you mm-hmm. know, and they would just play the way that the game is designed to play with mm-hmm. oh, sorry about that Amber Alert, Missing <laughs> kid. So, it, <laughs> yeah. Um, those alerts, when they When they come on your phone, on your devices, it blacks out whatever you're doing. So, (laughs) yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But my friends would kick my butt using me. 30 points, 20 rebounds, 20 (laughs) blocks. And I'm ticked off because I'm (laughs) only, when I use myself, I got eight points, eight rebounds, eight blocks, you know. But they're doing all this other stuff. It's like, why can't, you know. It was just
0: frustrating. <laughs> I see. Now, uh, like what I said earlier, you played with Michael Jordan. How 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 true is it that he was like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Shaquille O'Neal? Of course, there there's this superstar ego. Uh, how true are are the news or or what we heard or read that they're arrogant or snobbish? Is that true? There's a bit
2: of arrogance when you're the cream of the crop you know there's a bit of arrogance and snobby uh i wouldn't say snobby those guys i wouldn't call them snobby at all Mm -hmm. you know just imagine your job has you you excel at your job so well Mm -hmm. that you're recognized wherever you go by the masses and they just rush you and so you have no privacy wherever Mm -hmm. you go Mm -hmm. people just rush you, rush you, rush you constantly, you know, so they just, you got to do, you got to do the best you can with it, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why guys would hire private security, just so that they can get through where they got to go peacefully, Mm -hmm. you know, without being delayed. Um, because it can be a bit much, Mm -hmm. you know, when I played in the CBA in China and, and when, I would go over there with tour teams from the United States. Mm -hmm. The young guys—they weren't used to that kind of attention. So now the masses are just bum rushing us in a public setting, Mm -hmm. and where we can't really walk one step in either direction without stepping on somebody or somebody's foot, Mm -hmm. you know. And I had to explain to them, "Look, now you know what it feels like to to play at the top level." Mm -hmm. I said, "Here." they're going to treat you like you're one of those players because you're the closest that they're going to get to actually seeing one of those guys until they're here, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, I told them, Hey, appreciate it. And they always said, boss, how do you do this? How do you do this? And I'm just signing autographs and (laughs) and I continue to walk. I I just continue to walk. So they have to walk with me. The crowd has to move with me. And I tell my teammates, Hey, don't stop. Just keep walking, keep signing and keep walking. You know, (laughs) once you stop, you're going to be stuck. And so we get through, we walk through a mall and we get all the way to the other side and I turn around and guys have stopped. And so now they're stuck, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they're way, they're way back there stuck and they're just waving like, oh man, please, somebody come, <laughs> go help me, you know. And I will walk back through the crowd mm-hmm. and I will, you know, all right, let's go start walking. Walking, I put my arm around him. Just start walking, keep signing, but just start walking. (laughs) I told you, you can't stop walking. You Uh know, get him to the end, we get on the bus, go back to the hotel or go to the arena or whatever. You Mm know, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) But but back to your original question no, those guys, they're not snobs Mm
1: -hmm.
2: by far. They're not snobs. They did have an air of arrogance, you know, because. You have to, in order to be successful at what you do. You know, there has to be some arrogance, especially when you're one of the best. Each and every player in the in the NBA, even the two guys who aren't in uniform <laughs> or in injured reserve most of the year, even mm-hmm. they have some kind of arrogance because they're one of the elite basketball players in the world. Yes, mm-hmm. you know. I see. Now, it's like a doc who's if- very very successful. A surgeon who's very successful, a high rate of success. Mm-hmm. You know, he's when you bring in a, his next patient, and he re, he looks at the chart. He's like, "Oh, that's nothing. I I got this, and mm-hmm. I can do this with my eyes closed." You know, yes. when you have a gift, when you have a gift, you know, there's gonna be some arrogance.
0: Now, there was a story that you shared that you coached the late Kobe Bryant. How true was it? I mean, you were on the same. Each, how was, how did this happen? You know, was he
2: coachable? After, my, after, after my freshman year in college, uh, a lady by the name of Jackie Bethia, mm-hmm. Hartford, Connecticut. She was one of the biggest basketball brains as far as AAU basketball, evaluating talent, mm-hmm. and you know, maximizing, helping them maximize their talent. Mm-hmm. She asked me to go with her to the ABCD basketball camp, mm-hmm. which was one of the top basketball camps for high school basketball players. Mm-hmm. The college players were going to be the coaches. So I, because I was in college, I was one of the coaches and Kobe happened to be on my team. Kobe, Jermaine O'Neal, Lester Earl, Tim Thomas. Mm-hmm. These are my four biggest names on my team. Yeah. Um, We knew Kobe was special back then, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Didn't imagine he would go to the NBA two years later, (laughs) but he did, you know. And uh, was he coachable?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but because of all the talent that we had on the team, you know, I used to make them run sprints after the games Mm -hmm. because winning by 30, 40, 50 points. I said, oh, it's too easy for you guys. Hit the line. You're not even sweating. You're not even breathing hard. It was too easy. Hit the line. <laughs> Kobe didn't want to run. You know, he walked off the court. I'm not running, man. Forget that. You know, and I told him, hey, I'm just trying to prepare you for college because there are going to be times when coaches say some crazy things to you. And they want to see where you're at mentally and mm-hmm. mental toughness. So just do it. Your teammates are doing it. You're making yourself look bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And his parents, family, always very supportive. They were there, you know, dad came down, chastised him for it, you know, hit him in the chest uh-huh. and told him never to embarrass the family or himself like that again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with tears in his eyes, he got out there and ran. <laughs> you know, so two years later when I'm now the rookie with the Lakers. After a big win, I'm getting ready to go greet my family in the stands who are sitting with his family. And he says, hey, rookie, hit the line. <laughs> I already I already knew what it was about. You know, it was, his, it was Kobe's revenge. And so I laughed. And I, I said, all right, you got it. And he said, all right, go. And so I'm sprinting down, you know, back and forth down the court while the next two teams are warming up to play. You know, I'm just sprinting along the sideline, but I got a smile on my face the whole time, you know, because, <laughs> hey, he's got the seniority this time. <laughs> you know, I had no choice but to listen. You know what I mean? Because I'm still unsigned and trying to get to where he is. Yes.
0: So basically, the two of you, you know, are very cordial civil with each other.
2: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It was nothing but love, man. It was nothing but love. You know, and he used to always tell me, I'm going to dunk on you. You know, t- <laughs> you know what? I'll see you up there. I'll meet you at the rim. How about that? And there were so many times where he would try to dunk on me and I would block it time and time again. And then a couple of times I blocked it so hard I put him on his butt, you know, and I laughed at him. I said, nice try, you know, and the last time we played against each other he finally got a dunk mm-hmm. on me i rotated late
1: mm-hmm.
2: and i went to swipe you know swat at it and he just double pumped it went up underneath my my arm and flushed it and he he gave me an elbow to the ribs we called a timeout and so he's walking past me and he elbows me in a red cage, knocked the wind out of me. You know, I didn't I but I didn't want him to know that it knocked the wind out of me. So I'm just, you know, walking back to the bench trying to uh, trying to catch my wind, you know. But man oh man, it took a couple of minutes for me to catch my wind after that, but I didn't let him know, you know, and I laughed at him and told him on the court, you finally got one, you happy? He said, No, I'm coming back for more. But he you never know, that was his one and only, he never got another one, but he was happy with getting that one. <laughs> you know, when you finally, when you finally get the person that you've been trying to get for so long, you know, there's that feeling of, yes, you know, and now nah, I got to do it again, but yeah. he never got a chance to do it again. You know, the last time I saw him was at the Drew League Championships yeah. a couple years ago when I came home from China. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the Drew League ambassador to China. So I had an all-star team of players from China, Mm -hmm. you know, from different provinces who were there representing Drew China. And uh, we played a game, a friendly game against some select players from the Drew. Mm -hmm. And Kobe is there for the championship game. He and Gigi, Mm -hmm. they're sitting across the court, court side. And so, I didn't see him right away, but my, my players from China, they saw him. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. And I, I'm like, what? In the coach, coach. <laughs> uh oh. Coach, coach. There's Kobe. There's Kobe. And, and, you know, I said, well, all right, there's Kobe. So I, I'll go and, uh, you know, I took my jersey and that I had worn in that game, that Drew League game, and I got it autographed by all the NBA guys who were there. Retired players, current players, I got it autographed by them. So I went over to Kobe and, you know, I saw Scottie Pippen sitting a few seats over and I asked him, hey, would you mind signing this for my for my Drew League China players? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me kind of weird. And I said, look, I'm the Drew ambassador to China. I got a team here from, from China. And I pointed across the, the gym and he saw my players. And so he signed it. Mm-hmm. And I crept up behind Kobe. And I, I just leaned over and I said, "Hey, young fella, don't you still owe me some laps?" And he, and he heard my voice, and he said, "Oh man, wait a minute!" And he turned around and he said, "My man, Boss claws And he got up and he just gave me a big, you know, big bear hug. And uh, he said, "Matter of fact, no, man, you owe me some laps, you know." And we just laughed about it, you know, sharing that memory. And he said, "Hey, man." That still hurts from when his dad had hit him, you know, in the chest. So mm-hmm. said, man, that still hurts. I still feel that. You know, we're just sitting there laughing. and Nobody at the time knew what we were talking about because yeah. I had never really spoken about it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so we're just sitting there laughing about it. You know, I introduced myself to Gigi. You know, we caught up for a minute. He signed a jersey for the guys. He waved to them. You know, and they they lost it. They were absolute bananas when Kobe Bryant waved to them. You know, and uh, I gave the jersey with all the autographs to uh, the MVP from China. Mm-hmm. You know, the Julie China MVP. I gave it to him. Mm-hmm. You know, as as his gift to take back to China. So, you know, my last interaction was with Kobe was one of love, and you know, smiles, and it was like. We had never lost touch with these <laughs> That's
0: that was awesome, you know. Now, after your 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 career in the NBA, you 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 went to different leagues such as um, the USBL, the United States Basketball League, the yeah. uh,
1: um,
0: ABA, uh, American yeah. Basketball Association, and then you went back to the NBA grounds through the uh, NBA Developmental League. That's the G League right now, you know. Uh, yep. before ending up, you know, in the Chinese Basketball Association.
2: Uh, also the CBA, the Continental Basketball Association. Oh,
0: yeah, CBA, yeah. Now, yeah. how did this experience from the different leagues help you as a basketball player?
2: You know, at the end of the day, it's all basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved the game of basketball. I still love the game of basketball today. Mm-hmm. So it was just a blessing of, Continue to get opportunities to take advantage of this gift that God's blessed me with. I see. Now, taking me all around the world.
0: Yeah. When did you retire playing professional basketball? And what was the moment that decided you that made you decide that you want to hang up your shoes? Um,
2: 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in China for the Jump 10 tournament. And, uh, I was I was offered a a coaching job, the head coaching job of a basketball, a youth basketball company there, okay. Brothers Hoops, which was run by uh, Little Brothers Athletics in Shanghai, okay. and uh, it was then that I decided, okay, let me go ahead and hang it up mm-hmm. and pass on this knowledge and love that I have for the game mm-hmm. to the next generation, to future generations, and you know show them how to. Play the game that I love.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. Now, do you, do you have you know family members like children or nephews that that do is into sports or is targeting to follow your footsteps or for play, playing basketball?
2: Um, you know, I'm the only one that's played. Uh, my mom's uncle Norman Bailey. Mm-hmm. He played for UConn in the 80s. Okay, Norman Bailey. Uh, so he and I are the only two that played Division One college basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the only one that played NBA basketball. Nice. Um, I have cousins who played a little bit in high school and maybe at a small college, but it never materialized too much after that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my, play, my family either played football or basketball. The majority of them played football. I have a cousin, Tavar Kloss, He was an All-American left tackle at at UConn Mm. while I was playing at Central Connecticut. So, you know, I go to his football games. He come to my basketball games. (laughs) You know, he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. But Mm. due to behavior that was brought on by so many concussions, he was sent to NFL Europe and then eventually, you know, Mm. sent back home to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're the only two that tasted professional basketball i mean pro- professional sports mm-hmm. in our family um my son keith third, he's 21 now he played up until his sophomore year in high school his junior year uh sharif o'neill Shaq's son transferred to the school wow. crossroad school and you know they they're very close and you know, he thought that he was going to play varsity as well at 6'6", but they asked him to go back down to JV, and he decided to quit. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, if I'm not going to play varsity for my junior year, senior year, I'm not going to play basketball anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he switched over to volleyball. I see. Yeah. Okay.
0: Now, uh, I also read or found out online that you were able to play against a Philippine team before in William Jones Cup.
1: Uh, yes.
0: Can you describe, you know, what was your experience playing this against this Filipino? So I'm, I'm pretty sure you're, uh, you're much taller than the player. Yeah. How yeah. was it playing? You know, how can you describe them play?
2: You know what? Yeah. They're a very, very talented group of young men, mm-hmm. you know, very disciplined, very high skilled. Mm-hmm. Um the Philippines they people don't understand that basketball is the number one sport in the
1: Philippines
2: (laughs) they it it doesn't matter what the setting is where the basketball court is they'll make a basketball hoop out of anything and you know use whatever as a ball and play they love it just like we love it here Mm -hmm. you know and for them playing you know, representing the the country like that, this is a this is the highest honor. You know, for some players, that's better than going to the NBA mm-hmm. because you're playing on a national stage and in an international stage, mm-hmm. representing your country. And now you have to match up against these NBA players or these other top players from other countries, mm-hmm. and give, you have the opportunity to show the world what you have. You know what while representing for your people for your nation those guys played with passion Mm -hmm. they played with heart they played smart intelligent high basketball iq Mm -hmm. basketball you know and it was so much fun just to be out there on the court with those guys and you know i see to who uh you know played yeah that's that's one of my guys from california you know and i hadn't seen him i hadn't seen him in years since we were much younger And so to see him suited up across, I'm like, wait a minute. And he's looking at me and I'm like, Oh man, I can't believe it. You know, and, uh, that, that made it even more fun, even more exciting, even more memorable. He and I exchanged jerseys after the event was over, you know? So I've got, uh, you know, I've got a Filipino national team Jersey, you know, from Aussie and, uh, man, much, much respect, much love and respect, you know, to the Philippine national team. <laughs> and any player who comes up and has an opportunity to join such a, mm-hmm. such a prestigious and, you know, highly decorated, mm-hmm. highly, highly respected, highly respected mm-hmm. teams, they should take advantage of it and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that they would reach out to their elder statesmen, the players who were there before them for guidance, mm-hmm. you know, to teach them how to nice. further their career, you know, get that longevity, and how to maintain their success, you know? Yes.
0: Now, uh, believe it or not, you know, Asi is still playing right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, he hasn't officially,
0: he officially retired. <laughs>
2: You know what? So Jermaine Barnes, <laughs> Yeah. he was responsible for putting that team together. Mm-hmm. And he had been trying to get me to come play for several years, but I just wouldn't. I used to mentor him when he was, you know, turning pro.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, I met him at the Drew League and the LA Summer Pro League. And he was one of those really mouthy, talkative young guys, really cocky. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, yes.
2: Okay. He was really cocky and talkative. And I'm just telling him, hey, man, just shut up and play. You don't have to talk. Let your game do the talking for you. Mm -hmm. You know? So we established a close, a very close bond, big brother, little brother bond. Mm -hmm. And when he hurt his knee, he injured his knee. He said, man, I'm going to create my own basketball league. And, you know, I'm going to help players get opportunities to become professionals. that's what he did. So now he's helping to get involved in international, in these international cups that are FIBA certified. Yes. And he says, all right, boss man, look, you've avoided me long enough. I need you in Taiwan with me. I need you in Taipei. You know, so I go to Taipei, Taiwan with him. And then he, all right, after this, you know, we didn't win the gold like we wanted to. But after this, we're going to the Dominican Republic. We're going to Santiago. Got another tournament down there. And, you know, I ended up winning four gold medals with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And this dude, he, he's, he's an amazing young man. He he could have just given up when and walked away from basketball entirely when mm-hmm. he found out that his injuries required him to do that he got all the way up to basketball camp to training camp with the minnesota timberwolves Mm -hmm. and that's how he found that's when he found out the extent of his injury that forced him to retire early Mm -hmm. but the dude is amazing and he creates so many opportunities for young basketball players men and women Mm -hmm. to realize their dreams of playing professionally Mm -hmm. you know whether it's overseas and if they make it to the nba if one makes it to the nba one day great,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, but he's just trying to, that's his way of giving back, paying it forward to mm-hmm. the next generation gives them an opportunity, you know yes. and I'm proud of him for that
0: <laughs> Now uh, I'll be giving you some names, you know uh, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind to describe him okay uh, Michael Jordan
2: Phenomenal
0: Kobe Bryant
2: Phenomenal There were 1A and (laughs) 1B. Shaquille O'Neal. Overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah, huge. Dominance. Overwhelming dominance. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, here, this is one of your former coaches, okay? Uh, Well, actually, we had him also in our podcast before. Coach Chris DeLeo.
2: Basketball genius.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Coach Bill
1: Fitch.
2: Old school.
0: <laughs> coach Chris Ford.
2: Next.
1: Okay.
0: Los Angeles Clippers.
2: Growing, improving.
0: The coach that, okay, well, this is a question. The coach in the NBA that you wish you played for.
2: Pat Riley. Pat Riley.
0: Wow. <laughs> Lakers
2: <laughs> Lakers. Yeah. Even, 80s. or even, uh, Greg Popovich.
0: Hmm. That's great. That's good. Good. Now, uh, what, 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 did, what are the things that you're doing right now? You know, that keeps you busy, you know, amid this pandemic.
2: Mentoring players, um, uh, and also, you know, trying to establish my youth basketball program Call stars elite, mm. um, yeah. Just, just giving back to the community, you know, whatever way I can, mm-hmm. you know, but mostly coaching and mentoring. I see.
0: Now, any message to your fans, supporters, and family?
2: Uh, to my fans and supporters, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, you know, for standing by me all these years. Thank you for your believing in me, the undying love. You know, I, I reciprocated. You know, and I show my appreciation every opportunity that I get. Um, you know, when I was 18 years old, I went to my very first L.A. Clippers game. They're playing against the Houston Rockets. Dominique Wilkins was a member of the Clippers team. Oh. I asked him for his autograph after the game. He looked at me and just kind of gave me this, you know, whatever and walked off. Mm-hmm. Makeem Olajuwon was standing behind him and looked at him and then looked at me and shook his head. I said, "That's okay. One day, I'm going to I'm going to be in the NBA, and you're going to want my autograph." You know, I had another little expletive. You know, three years later, you know, that was when I was 18. Three years later, at 21, I'm in the NBA. You know, and I'm playing against the King Elijah one and the Houston Rockets. He comes up to me during warm-ups. He says, "Hey, kid, I remember you. You told Dominique that one day you're going to be in the NBA." (laughs) You made it. Congratulations. You know, and that was an awesome feeling. Kareem Abdul Jabbar, although he was my favorite player, he was a jerk. (laughs) He would never autograph. He would never take a picture with me, you know. And because of the way he and Dominique had, you know, the way they made me feel Mm -hmm. by turning me away like that, that hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, that hurt. I never wanted any fans to experience that so every time i was asked to sign an autograph i signed it you know every time i was asked to take a picture i took it because i never wanted them to know what that felt like you know to be you know turned away and made to seem like they didn't matter the fans absolutely do matter you know and we appreciate the fans you know they 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 come out there and support us Mm -hmm. You know, and we love them for it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was always the last person off of the court because I wouldn't leave until I signed every last autograph. Mm -hmm. You know, and I used to get in trouble for it, (laughs) you know, but I didn't care Mm -hmm. because I I just didn't want this kid to walk away with a bad taste in his mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, a bad feeling about Keith Kloss because I didn't sign an autograph for him, you know. I have to say one more thing Mm -hmm. with Kareem being my my favorite player my first AAU coach James Espinosa Jim Espinosa retired sheriff's deputy he's the one that helped me develop my hook shot when I was 15 years old Mm -hmm. he said Kareem's your favorite player but you don't have a hook shot you shoot jumpers you shoot threes you cross guys over but you're not you're dunking on guys but you don't you don't have a hook shot mm-hmm. so he made sure that i started shooting a hook shot he taught me how to shoot a hook shot you know <laughs> and uh i have to give him all the all the respect and acknowledgement for that you know because that's what he did for me
0: yeah as you can see on the screen that's one of your shots, the hook shot
2: against Jackie. Oh, yeah <laughs> yeah i remember that shot it went in
0: <laughs> now <laughs> I was checking on your files, on your pictures, you know, I was able to
2: ch- get this.
0: Now, how about this? I mean, you were able to, you know, get up close and personal with your idol?
2: Yeah. How was it? It wasn't, it wasn't, he was a jerk. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I love him. I love him, but he wasn't really, see, when he came in, all he heard about was all the negative stuff with me, mm-hmm. you know? So he didn't really have a chance to get to know me, the mm-hmm. real me. He was just going off of hearsay. And uh, I, I grew up playing AAU ball with Kareem Jr. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I used to always get on Kareem Jr. about his dad. Your dad's so mean, man. Why is he such a jerk? You know, and, you know, Kareem was, yeah, I know, I know. So when when Kareem Sr. joined our coaching staff, he wasn't really paying too much attention to me. We mm-hmm. had Mike, We had just drafted, you know, Michael Oliver Candy. So his focus was helping develop Oliver Candy's skills on mm-hmm. the block, and he just kind of ignored me. Mm-hmm. So I go down and work on my game, my ball handling, my shooting, on my own. You know, one day they're at the other end of the court, and uh, Oliver Candy just gets really disrespectful. Man, what you're showing me that may have worked 50 years ago. It's not working in today's game. It's a different game. And I was just like, whoa. He said that to the greatest player of all time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. And it pissed off Kareem. Mm-hmm. And so he's walking off the court and he looks at me. He says, all right, Claus, show me what you got. I said, what do you want to see? He uh-huh. said, you already know what I want to see. So, oh, a well, hook shot? Yeah. So I go ahead, you know, you want left hand or right hand? He says, You're left handed. Let me see your left hand. So I go up, boom, perfect sky hook. And he says, All right, let me see your right. Let me see your right hand. I go up, boom, my right hand, perfect sky hook. You know, (laughs) not bad, not bad. All right, let's see how you do with a little defense, with a little pressure. So he bumps me and, you know, to see if it's going to knock me off balance. And you know I'm still light in the butt at the time, but I knew how to shoot that shot. You know, even with the contact, so I absorbed the contact and I still hit it when he did it. He's like, "Man, I've been wasting my time down there, and I should have been down here with you." I said, "I've been I've been coming after you since I was five years old, and you just (laughs) ignored me, and now now you want to be my friend and teach me something? (laughs) You know, just giving him a hard time." He said. You still want that autograph and picture? I said, hell no, man. I don't want that anymore. I said, it's because of you. I said, you're the reason that I'm always the last one to come in after the games, man. All those times that you turn me down for pictures and autographs, I don't want these kids to know what that feels like. I do that because of you. You know, he he was just standing there like, you know. Well, I said, I still love you, but you're a dick. You know <laughs> and, <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> and he just he just, oh, oh whatever, man, whatever. Let's let's get back to work. Let's get back to work. What else you got? You know. And so from that day until my last day with the Clippers, mm-hmm. he always worked with me. Wow. You know, and I, I really cherished each and every moment of that. That was my dream come true. You know. <laughs>
0: wow that was great anyway i know i have taken a lot of your time and you know i'm very thankful okay. that you 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 shared your stories about your 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 nba experience on how you dealt with those problems personal problems of yours and what are you doing after your basketball career you know i'm very thankful for sharing your time with us i appreciate it and Best of luck on your endeavors. You know, I'll keep in touch with you, sir. Thank you. Okay.
2: you. Hey, maybe one day you'll see me in the Philippines.
0: Yes. Hopefully once this pandemic is over, you
2: know. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, I want to so, wish you and your yes. family the best of health and safety out there.
0: You too, sir. It's my pleasure you know, having to talk to you. Pleasure's mine. Yes.
2: Thank so, you, Kiko.
0: Guys, with that, that wraps up another episode of Extra Session with Kiko Malikdem. Uh, Of course, like what I said, I would like to say thank you to our guest, Mr. Keith Kloss, And of course, best of luck again. And for everyone, like I've been saying, games are always exciting if there is extra session. Good day. Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit our website at www.guerillapodcastsyndicate.com where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. You can also join the conversation with Guerrillas RV on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please consider on making a donation to help us keep making the podcast you love. If you have any questions, Book a call at ww.kangrewfern dot com ncom dot com.